The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 98 of the Squawk Ident podcast recorded on Monday, December 20th, 2021 from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, Captain Roger and I discuss maintenance delays, recovery obligations, 5G interference, Captain Sully Sullenberger's confirmation as the U.S. representative on the Council of ICAO, the United Nations Air Safety Body. The flight training bill elimination will also be discussed. We also will listen in on a recent discovery flight from on board a Cessna 172 with Riverside Flight Academy CFI Alex Stagel. Before we continue, I just want to take this opportunity to thank Captain Pete Lindner for joining me on Flight 97, Throwing Smoke. We had a fantastic time discussing his journey in aviation and beyond. You ever been in a cockpit before? You ever seen a grown man naked? You ever hang around the gymnasium? You like movies about gladiators? Now that our pre-flight is complete, Let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 98 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Joining us today is an exceptional aviator and professional CFI, I, and MEI flight instructor. He's a former Embraer 145 airline captain and King Air instructor, Falcon 900 and 2000 commander, and captain and corporate operator as well. He joins us ragged from the Christmas prep multiple short day trips, and the day-to-day grind of Part 91 operations. I had to read that twice. What? <laughs> from I was his... like, what did I say? I couldn't remember what, what I had put in there. Grinder? Like, what? what? No, from his studio, from somewhere in San Diego, California. Please help us in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm getting a little bit of entertainment here from from you <laughs> trying to read my uh my intro there i know i was like wait what but yeah absolutely the, the the daily grind of part 91 operations is relatively hectic we've talked about this many times what is the latest roger but yeah you know it's it's kind of the same old same old um well i, I don't I say that with, I guess that that's true to a certain degree, but there's always, you know, new plans, you know, maybe we're going to do this, maybe we're going to do that. Um, and there's been a little bit more of that lately. And so doing some initial exploratory steps on some things that might happen and I'll just kind of leave it at that for right now. Yeah. And we won't spoil it. We'll let, we'll let the, uh, the audience, uh, kind of stew on that one for a little while, but big news, some, something big with, Big shiny metal thing sticking out of it might uh, be a new addition to the fleet, and that's always a fun experience. Yep, there is there is talk of some some replacement aircraft, and you know, it, like most things in aviation, though, 
you know, but we'll, until until I see it show up or until somebody's shelling out money for for things, you know, who knows what's really going to happen. But right. um, yeah, that's actually been you know some of the stuff that I do outside of just the flying, um, kind of doing a little bit of work on that front too, in terms of some of those initial steps. So we'll see what we'll see what happens over the next few months here. Yeah, and you've been flying quite a bit these uh, day trips. Uh, yeah, I've lately. had a lot more day trips really ever since Thanksgiving. I don't actually think I've, I don't think I've been at a hotel and it doesn't seem like in, in a while uh, for probably almost a month now, but definitely several day trips. Um, and I got another couple day trips for Christmas, you know, running up and then coming right back and then the pickup yeah. and coming back and, you know, for a couple of the different owners. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess there's pros and cons to the day trips, you know, they're definitely, you work a little bit harder, but you do get to come home too. So, yeah. And then while trying to get ready for Christmas and everything. And apparently Christmas is pretty soon, I'm told. Is I'm it? Sure. It was just Thanksgiving last week. And then I guess, I don't know what happened. It's not, when I was a kid, there was, it was a month. And now I grew up and I'm an adult and it's about a week from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Now, I'm not sure when they changed that, though. Yeah, you know, I, I figured something out that Einstein couldn't. And that is, as the human body ages, time relatively speeds up. Yeah, something like that. Like, like, like I say, I some, somewhere along like, the way, they shortened the, the gap between Thanksgiving and Christmas to only one week. Well, now. It's not just that. I mean, I blink and it's like 10 years later. The other day I was writing the date down and I wrote 2002 and I was like, oh, wait a minute. You missed a couple decades. <laughs> other than that, what's the problem? Yeah. Well, you know, as you, like I said, as you age, it just seems like time flies. It truly is. Faster There's that faster. saying, it's like, you know, it's life is like a toilet paper roll. Hmm. You know, the closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very profound statement. <laughs> and very true. And very true. Well, and you know, I... Listeners li- listeners tune in to listen to us so we can give, you know, advice and, and witty statements. Yeah, like write that. that down in your notebook, guys. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Deep Thoughts by Captain Roger. <laughs> that, that, it, it, it needs to be a very thin journal, folks. Oh, yeah, just a couple pages. Fold it. Yep. You don't even yeah. need to put a staple in it. You're good. <laughs> but seriously, the you know, you're talking about day trips. I actually have a day trip later today. I was originally supposed to fly this five-day sequence, and it was a long one. Uh, we, I think we recently spoke about this on the show, about these five-day trips that include a Hawaii uh, layover in there towards the end. Um, I was supposed to fly a red-eye back, landing back in L.A. today at 6.30 in the morning, which was the conclusion of day five. But things kind of went haywire with this sequence, and it was uh, because of maintenance issues. And we're going to talk about that here coming up. But before we do, I wanted to talk about the lobster. So on this trip, the first night, we ended up in uh, Boston. And it was a nice long layover downtown. Got in kind of late, but we got to spend the entire day there the next day. And so, you know, I got up, went, did some exploring, and I ended up at one of the oldest public libraries in the country, the Boston Public Library. I took a little tour, a little walking tour, uh, took some photos and, and posted them on the social for Squawk Ident. And it was amazing to see the architecture, the just the the real classic library feel with the lights with the green glass and the law library and and the 
stacks of books and the antique books. And of course, there was the, the new side of the library, the more modern, renovated uh, part of the building. But the, the museum-like quality of the ceilings and the paintings and, and the map room, uh, really, really a fantastic experience. But of course, in my explorations, I walked around and found a little hole in the wall to go have lunch. And I had a crab roll and some chowda. I mean, how better to celebrate the fact that you're on a cool layover than to get some authentic Boston chowda. Uh, and it was fantastic. Well, of course, it was getting close to time to get back and get ready to, to fly. So I went back to the hotel and, and got everything ready, ironed a shirt and got ready to go, hopped on the van. And when we got to the airport, I noticed Kelly's roast beef right there in the terminal. And I really enjoy Kelly's and it's a little pricey, but I got the surf and turf. I mean, when in Boston, you might as well spoil yourself. So I had a crab roll for lunch and a lobster roll and roast beef for dinner. And I was just happy, just happy. So we ended up flying uh, to Dallas, and then from Dallas we swapped aircraft and flew into Las Vegas. Relatively short layover, about 10 hours of rest, the legal minimum, uh, part 117 legal minimum for airline crews. And the next day, headed back to the airport, and the inbound flight was a little bit behind schedule. But as I got to the airplane, the captain goes, hey, you know what? I'm going to do the walk around for you. Now, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, a lot of captains volunteer to do walk arounds, but this captain that I flew with this week, he was volunteering quite a bit. Um, and, and it was. And, and where were you? Just, uh, just to, to This clarify. was in Las Vegas. In the, in the wintertime. Right. Uh, Come back report when he when he does a walk around in Boston in the wintertime or Vegas in the summertime. That will be news. But but, but anyway, carry on with your story. Yeah. The, the 4040 rule uh, did apply here. You've heard of this, Roger, the 4040 rule. I can't say I've heard of the 4040 rule. I... Yeah, that's if your captain is over the age of 40 or the temperature is below 40 degrees Fahrenheit, the first officer shall do all walk arounds. Well, yeah, that's just an, un that's a truth of life. Yeah. No, but he did, he did a walk around in Boston as well. Um, and he did a walk around in Las Vegas. And I was like, wow, yeah, this is, this is very generous. I like this. He was like, yeah, just set up the flight deck and, you know, I'll, we'll swap roles. I'll do the walk around, you do the flight deck. And I was like, okay. Well, he came back and he goes, uh, we got a problem. I said, like, really? What'd you find? He goes, well, I'm looking at the water drain valve on the uh, left wing and it seems to be seeping a little bit of fuel, some residual fuel. Now, what is a water drain valve? The water drain valve, just like in a Cessna 172, is at the bottom lowest point of the tank, the fuel tank. And on a pre-flight, in general aviation, on a Cessna, you use your, your fuel stick or your fuel uh, water cup, and the fuel comes out, you take a little bit out and you make sure that there's no water in the fuel because water is heavier than fuel. So it'll sink to the bottom of the tank and that's a contaminant. So on a pre-flight in general aviation, you do this every flight. Well, in airline operation, you don't do it every flight. The fuel truck has been certified to be free from contaminants and, 
they do uh, pressure refueling. So not something you do. But what happens is over time, sometimes the gasket and the, uh, the, the little rubber O-ring that's in there and the spring that holds it shut, uh, sometimes they get kind of dry, especially in the cold temperatures. The rubber gets hard. And so a little bit of fuel might seep out. Now on the pre-flight walk around inspection, they usually tell us if there's a little kind of drop there, if it's not an active leak or it's not streaming or there's no puddle on the ground, then, you know, that's kind of normal. However, it's, you know, always at the pilot's discretion whether or not it's excessive or not. Now, he said, why don't you go take a look at it? So I ran out there and I could actually reach this uh, lower water drain valve and I put my finger on it and sure enough, it was a good amount of fuel. My fingers are all wet. So we're like, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's uh, a little excessive. Let's err on the side of safety and give maintenance a call. And that's what we did. Well, of course, that became a real big deal because at first, the maintenance guy that showed up, the first guy said, well, really? There's no puddle on the ground. There's no, it's not dripping. Really? And he kind of gave us a hard time. So he said, well, I'm going to dry it up and I'll, I'll see if it leaks. We'll give it some time. So he did. And sure enough, after he used the shop towels to dry the wing, a little bit of seepage came out. There was another drop of fuel. So he called more maintenance personnel. His supervisor is, you know, uh, his boss, I guess. And he came out and he wasn't very happy, but they said, yeah, we're going to take the panel off the fuel pump panel, which is right next to it. And uh, we're going to take a look. And of course, they turned on some fuel pumps. They took a look. And sure enough, there was a really good fuel leak. It wasn't excessive. It wasn't enough to where it was going to be a major issue and dangerous. But there was a fuel leak, and there shouldn't have been. So they grounded the aircraft. They had to wait for fuel pump parts to come in from Chicago. Um, And so that gave us a good four and a half hour delay at the airport. Well, that, of course, had a conflict with our next flight, which was supposed to be Los Angeles to Maui. So crew scheduling removed us from the Hawaii flying. And I thought, well, hey, we're stuck here with the airplane. When they fix it, we'll take it. We'll go home and I'll be home a couple days early with pay. It's not bad, right? (laughs) not an hour went by and we were reassigned now to fly a delayed flight out of Los Angeles using the aircraft that we were waiting for to come in and uh, we were going to fly to Atlanta uh, significantly delayed and landing around 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning and of course they said we're not going to be able to fix this airplane in time so when the next aircraft comes in that's scheduled to be on a RON or remain on the overnight, you're going to take that airplane back to Los Angeles and then fly it to Atlanta. Okay. So we sat at the airport, like I said, all day. And then when we took off, landed in LA, the captain said, well, it's a quick turn. Uh, We're going to do cabin crew swap. They're going to have to clean the airplane and, and cater it and fuel it. I'm going to go grab a quick bite to eat and use the restroom and come back. And then whoever's back here first, let's just have them do the walk around. Like, okay. So 
did another walk around. Now, mind you, this is a different airplane. This is the airplane that we were given in Las Vegas that was going to be the new airplane for the trip. And as I did the walk around, I came back and I saw on the other wing, on the other side, the same issue. There was some seepage. And this time it wasn't coming from the water drain valve, but it was actually coming from the plate that covers the fuel pump. And so, my captain, you're not going to believe this, uh, but I think we have the same issue. So he goes out with the flashlight, does a real good job, takes a look, and comes in and goes, well, it's, it's the same. Let's, find, let's call maintenance, see what they tell us. And sure enough, they came out and they did a really thorough inspection and they found it to be fine within limits. Um, it was just a little bit of overpressure. This is the way they explained it fine. And then we noticed that some of the seatbelts were missing some parts in the flight deck. And so we added that to the book, said, hey, just fix these while you're here, you know. And that delayed the flight significantly enough where we actually timed out. So we went beyond our FAA legal maximum duty time. And so we ended up not being legal for the flight and they didn't have anything else for us. So we were released. So we got to go home uh, kind of late that evening last night. And then this morning, I got a phone call. Tonight, you're going to be deadheading to Dallas to fly one leg back. So I was originally supposed to be done this morning at six in the morning. And now I'm not going to be at the airport until 4 p.m. this evening to fly a turn that gets back at midnight. And you're thinking, well, that's really that's not in your footprint of your trip. What the heck is this additional flying? No, it's what they call recovery obligation. So because flying from my regular sequence was removed for whatever reason, uh, I am because the Hawaii is considered an international flight because it's over open water. The recovery obligation contract at legacy airlines states that you have to be available within 30 hours of when your original trip ended. So the company took you know, fair advantage of that, and here I am. So, Roger, do you miss it? Every, every day. Every <laughs> day. <laughs> Get to work. Does, that, does that answer the question? Oh, uh, totally. Totally. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect job. Like anything else, there's pros and cons to everything. There's, and, you know, for all as, as much as I like to, to rip you guys, um, there are pros to your job and there are drawbacks to it. Just like there are good parts to my jobs and there are drawbacks to my job as well. Yeah. Um, generally though, no, if I did, I would probably be spending more time actively trying to get on there. It's just, you're a number and you just go where they tell you to, when, when they tell you to, and, and there's just less of that. And so, I'm happy where I'm at, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't exactly move me to go, oh, man, I really want to be an airline pilot. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, every airline has its own contract language. Uh, quality of life issues are always uh, something that we talk about as aviators. Uh, corporate pilots have different flight rules and different contracts, and depending on their employer, you know, as a Part 91 pilot, you know, you have your flight rules that you abide by, which are 
basically whatever is in the book for the straight FARs. Out of the, yep, straight out of the FARs. Yeah. And then every 121 carrier, their flight operations manual and aircraft operations manual or whatever they call it, um, those are signed by their FAA's uh, primary, what is it, uh, inspector? Primary operations the inspector? POI. POI, yeah. So once the FAA signs that manual, the official manual for that specific airline, that becomes their FAR. So if their airline states that, you know, they have to do one, two, three, and the FAR states that you have to do four, five, six, well, they go by their airline's specific flight operations manual simply because that's now controlling in a part 121 world. Uh, that's why there are different FARs for each part, part 61, part 91, part 121, uh, and so on and so forth, part 135. Uh, so, you know, every airline has its own quality. Now, their contract is separate from that. And at Legacy Airlines, we're under contract negotiations. Our contract had expired and was supposed to be, you know, revisited and a new contract should have been signed. But then this pandemic happened. Uh, and even before that, it, there were issues getting it done. And it seemed like the company was dragging its feet a little bit. So, you know, these are the kind of things that we as pilots like to sit here and bicker about and complain about and, and give examples of why our contract is not as good as the next guy's contract. You know, they know who you are, Delta. Um, everybody wants Delta's contract. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, their contract has, has idiosyncrasies and flaws as well. So all of these, you know, things that we're fighting to improve, like uh, short-term leaves and leaves of absences due to illness, uh, this recovery obligation is a hot topic. Uh, having, you know, the companies just able to reassign you basically whatever they want, as long as it falls within the footprint of the contract. Um, and then all the gray area that the company, sometimes they feel obligated to, you know, force a pilot to doing something that is really kind of a gray area that's not really in the contract or not well defined. So it's important to know your contract. If you get hired at a Part 121 carrier, you know, you're busy from day one learning the company's rules through indoctrination or indoc, then you're going to learn a new airplane. So you're busy in ground school, and then you're getting ready for simulators, and then IOE, and now you're on the line, and guess what? The crew scheduling is going to be dialing your number every day, especially if you're a junior man on the totem pole or a woman on the totem pole. So know your contract. Know what those gray areas are and make sure that you follow your contract. Because if you don't follow the contract, then that sets a precedent that sometimes will bite not just you, but your entire work group. So yeah, I've always been an advocate. As soon as you can, read the contract. And if you can't fall asleep, read the contract. If you suffer from anxiety or insomnia, read the contract. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll be like, oh, oh, it'll put you to sleep. Well, you know, recently I've seen a lot of news 
from local media about how 5G and the 5G antennas are gonna go live and airplanes will be falling out of the sky. And then I found the article from Tech Tank on brookings.edu. Will 5G mean airplanes falling from the sky? Written by Tom Wheeler on Monday, November 22nd, 2001. And he writes, when digital mobile phone technology was first introduced in the US, electric wheelchairs began behaving erratically. The pulsing signal interfered with their controls. The solution, simple shielding to stop the interference. When phones using international GSM digital standards were introduced in the US, hearing aids would buzz. The hearing aid, which had been designed for an analog world, were suddenly confronted with a new digital reality. The solution was again updating the old way of doing things to recognize the new environment. And if you want to talk life and death, how about pacemakers? Again, early in the digital phone era, these lifesavers could malfunction when hit by a cell phone signal. The short-term solution was for doctors to tell pacemaker patients not to carry their phone in their shirt pocket. Long-term shielding solved the problem. These stories all come to mind as the Federal Aviation Administration has objected to the FCC, or Federal Communications Commission, to authorize the use of newly opened airways for 5G networks. Their concern is that the 5G signal could possibly interfere with the radio altimeters used in automated aircraft landings. 5G aviation safety issue combines the two most important components of public policy decision-making, public safety and national security. No one can question the importance of safety of passengers on commercial and private aircraft. Similarly, everyone recognizes that the United States is in a technological horse race with China, which has been able to reap the rewards of its embrace of 5G networks. So Roger, 5G and radio altimeters. Do you know, do you know how they would interfere? No. <laughs> well, first of all, what, okay, so apparently China is beating us in 5G. Yes, they have. So what is what what is the advantage of China's winning in five G? Well, the nutshell, the fifth generation of. I mean, uh, my phone says five G on it sometimes. Yeah, mine too. But what they want to do now is open up new bandwidth of radio frequencies to accommodate the the fact that they're going to make five G like the standard everywhere. No is more that just 4G. data. It's so just fifth, more, more data that's able to go through right. fifth, the air. Fifth generation of data transfer. Um, so the antennas would now be placed and go live with the 5G radio wave, which is a shorter wave, which can carry more data under a shorter wave. But the, the problem is that radio altimeter sends a wave, a digital wave, down to the ground and it gets reflected off the ground and then goes back up to the aircraft and it's, it points straight down. And that's the Airbus uses that on every single landing, right? You hear it 200, 100, 50, 40, 50, 30, 40, 20, 20, 20, 10, 10 and retard, then it calls you retard. retard. So <laughs> it tells you to retard. How can, how can you forget? Yes. Yeah, so why is that important? Well, if we're doing a category three ILS, zero visibility landing where the autopilots are controlling the aircraft all the way down to touchdown 
and beyond. The radio altimeter is the aircraft's primary method to decide when to flare, reduce power, um, all of it, um, reduce its sink rate. So if there's interference with that because a wave that is similar to the radio altimeter wave can interfere with the aircraft's ability to do that, then the landing would fail. The Cat 3 would not, we'd have anomalies that would either cause it to, to fail or it could be a dangerous situation. And the FAA is fighting against this until there's more testing. But of course, the, the cell phone companies, the, the telecom companies in, around the US, they want to get this thing rolling because it's a huge benefit for them and their customers that they can now stream their TikTok videos using cell phone data and no lag. Or they can you know, use their phones to watch 4K videos of their favorite shows while they're sitting on an airplane, whatever. So, so here, I, it, okay. So I'm not, obviously not the most educated person on this subject, but I, I, didn't they have some kind of thing where they were going to block a, a specific band of frequencies for this number one? For I mean, for me personally, like where we don't actually do any Cat two or Cat three approaches. We're Part ninety one. We don't have the authorization for it. We do have radio altimeters. It does like yours. It does call fifty thirty. 10 and five, I think. Um, but in the end, we don't use an approach. We don't use them for an approach, like you said, the cat three. But then again, I, I'll just flat out ask you, you've been at Legacy for six years, maybe three years, three years, three years. So how many times have you shot a full cat three a approach in zero zero conditions, not in the simulator? One time. One time. And the captain flies it. Right. right. Yeah, the captain's yeah. going to fly it, and we say fly it because really it's the guy in the right seat, I think, that's... The captain's you know, monitoring been... the systems, and the first officer is making all the call-outs and right. monitoring the, the other systems. Because really, nobody's flying the airplane. That's the whole point of this approach, is nobody's actually flying the airplane. You're just, you know, both pilots have yeah. a division of labor to monitor different, different portions of the approach. Right. But in the end, this the amount of times that this is actually going to affect people, even in a worst case scenario for a cat three, a approach in a zero, zero conditions is very, very minimal. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you know, does the, there the need chance to that it's going to be a probably, problem. Right. Right. But the pro in the, in the grand scheme of things, this is, I don't think this is that big of a deal. Yes. I, I and I would agree, but just to get a little bit of clarification, the article, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it does go on. And a couple of things that it says is airways are often referred to as spectrum. And they are a share of national resources that is subject to the pulls and tugs of challenging technologies. Okay, now with that in mind, you asked earlier, how does that really affect our, our airplanes? And is it going to be a big deal? Well, spectrum used by the aeronautical navigation system, as well as so-called C-band wireless are internationally allocated. On the spectrum allocation chart, the aeronautical frequency allocation runs between 4.2 and 4.4 gigahertz. One of the key uses of the aeronautical allocation is the transmission of information to and from aircraft altimeters. 
especially when they operate below 2,500 feet to facilitate computer-assisted landings, or CAT-3 landings, as we discussed. Next to that allocation is the C-band spectrum used for 5G. In the US, C-band use is authorized from between 3.7 and 3.98 gigahertz. So very close to the bandwidth or bandwave of a radio altimeter on an aircraft. The airline and associated industries are warning that 5G networks operating in the C-band have the potential to cause harmful interference to radio altimeters. Their concern is that the radios being used with the altimeter may not appropriately filter out signals lapping over from another part of the spectrum called superior emissions. In response, the FAA issued a special airworthiness bulletin to airlines and pilots to be prepared for the possibility that interference from 5G transmitters and other technologies could cause safety equipment to malfunction. The Canadian government responded by restricting C-band usage around airports. So in Canada, they've said, okay, well, no 5G around the airport, and that hopefully will create a safety barrier for these potential interferences to occur. I think the U.S. may follow suit. And again, you know, just in case there is any confused this is in no way related to an aircraft's primary altimeter where we tell how far away we are from the ground this is just the radio altimeter which is something that is you know as as tony mentioned is only used for landing this is in no way affecting any aircraft's primary altimeter which works on a completely different right uh, fundamentals and when i watched uh nbc nightly news last week and their aviation expert uh was talking about how an aircraft's altimeter will be affected. Right, and I that's was, what I wanted to get away from. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm like, that no. that would be news. That would be news. Now, obviously, it's a misspeak of a tech, it's a semantic that it's a technical thing because most people don't know the difference between an altimeter and a radio altimeter. Right. Um, so, but as a, as a professional pilot, I'm sitting there going, pulling my hair out going, no, this right. is not for, accurate. From a general public standpoint, <laughs> they need to know that this is, this is something that the, an aircraft, like I say, in my, the flying that I do, if we didn't have a radar altimeter, there would be zero difference to yeah. anything. Yeah. None. I wouldn't know when to reduce the thrust levers to idle. It does help a little bit, especially going between... <laughs> You know, your guys' sight picture is about the same because you fly the same airplane. But when you're going, for me, who goes between a couple of different types of airplanes, the sight picture is a little different. It does help to kind of cheat. Sure. Like, even though you look like you're higher up or look like you're lower, you have a radar altimeter. Yeah. 50. Oh, it's time to start pulling the power back. It's time to start flaring at, you know, 10. But other than that, it makes no difference uh, for, for the airplane's primary altimeter that we use. Yeah. And I think if you're flying like a 777 or a 787 across to London Heathrow on a weekly basis and the fog and the visibility there is crappy during certain times of the year and every landing is an auto landing, okay, I get it. That could be definitely an issue. The issue would be that the Cat 3 would fail. It would fail possibly passive or it would fail inoperative. However, it would fail. And then you can't do a Cat 3 Autoland, and if the weather does not dictate doing maybe a Cat 2 or Cat 1, then 
you're going to have to divert you're gonna have to, to your yeah. alternate, which you had to have had in order, you know, if you thought the weather was going to be anything right. remotely close to that anyway. Right. And I did read an article indicating that there's going to be a lot more diversions and a lot more no, people. There's... No. If you no. see like one out of 10,000 flights divert due to a 5G network, I'll be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so uh, I love the article, though. The headline of the article was fantastic. Will 5G mean airplanes falling from the falling sky? Falling from the sky. Oh, come on. Well, in other there news. There you have it. There you have it. Speaking of falling from the sky, Captain Sully Sullenberger was confirmed to the, <laughs> for the U.S. the International Aviation Post in an article, which I'll put a link in the show notes from Reuters, uh, Dated on the 2nd of December from uh, David Shepardson. Uh, he writes that uh, the U.S. confirms Sullenberger to the International Aviation Post. Uh, Sullenberger rose to fame, obviously, uh, we all know this, right, from 2009 for, as a commercial pilot who safety, safely landed an Airbus A320 on New York's Hudson River after what hitting a flock. What do we call a that flock. a landing? Well, it's a ditching, technically, but okay. this is what they write. Um <laughs> after hitting a flock of geese, um, and as known as the miracle flight because no one was seriously hurt or killed. Um, oh, by the way, have you ever ordered the Sully at a bar? Uh, no. What is, what is the Sully? Oh, it's uh, two shots of Grey Goose and a splash of water. <laughs> <laughs> one big issue at ICAO for Sullenberger, whose post carries the rank of ambassador, will be global efforts to reduce aviation emissions. <laughs> I, I tell you, I love the smell of Jet A in the morning, and I can't imagine <laughs> having electric jets or, or, you know, who knows. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how Captain Sully will make an impact on the ICAO position. Um, and I wish him the best of luck. I hope that he really narrows in on the goal that the United States set of achieving a net zero greenhouse gas emission for the U.S. aviation sector by the year 2050. That's not, that's in our lifetime. That's, this doesn't seem possible to me. The White House said in September it was targeting 20% lower aviation emissions by the year 2030 as airlines are facing pressure from environmental groups to lower their carbon footprint pledged to use more sustainable aviation fuel. So, yeah, I think, so, uh, I don't know. I think it was maybe a month or two ago. Didn't United fly a flight that was on 100% biofuel or something? So I know that we have had, I think it was just, like I say, a month ago, I think they flew a flight out of Chicago. I'll have to look into that. Um, so I know that there are some technologies that are moving towards that. Now, what I don't know is how that, what is, how, what is the relationship between these biofuels, which is not burning oil, right? but what does that mean for emissions? I mean, we're still burning something, and whenever you burn anything, you're always going to have an emission. Are these two distinct, separate issues right. or are they you know because you can't fix the emissions if you're burning something unless you're going to fly a solar airplane and let's face it we're not going to see a, a solar powered airbus 321 in, in our lifetimes doing cat three into zero viz if, maybe if we took all of these solar panels in the in the county of los angeles we could get an airplane off the ground for about 10 minutes yeah you're right but then that's just to get it off the ground let alone fly the flight yeah um 
but yeah, I don't know. But I, I like I say, I think that there was just a month or two ago, United, I think, flew a flight on biofuels, but I don't know how that affects emissions. Yeah. And, and who knows if it's algae-based biofuels or corn or I think it was, a bi it was an algae-based biofuel, I think, yeah. is what they had been working on. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Um, you know, and I, hey, I look forward to seeing what the future has, technology and aviation fuels. Um, yeah, you know, if you go around and there's like a fuel leak and you put your hand in it, at least you won't smell like Jet A all day long. But actually, I just found that uh, that article about that United flight, which it was United, and they they flew a Boeing 737 MAX aircraft from Chicago. It looks like just at the beginning of this month, actually. Wow. And they flew from Chicago O'Hare, and they flew to to uh, Washington Reagan. Looks like with 100 passengers on it, and including the United CEO. And to, it looks like um, for safety, which is, you know, I, I've read this. It looked like it was a good idea. They did... Um, they didn't mix the biofuels. They kept the biofuel for one of the engines and they had traditional fuel for the other engine, which does look like that's a, uh, a regulation, which makes sense. Uh, I'll give them yeah. that. So in case you did have an issue on one engine, you still got another one to, to be able to fly the aircraft, but, um, hundred percent biofuel. And they flew from Chicago O'Hare to Washington Reagan to two busy airports. And um, yeah, I'm surprised they chose Reagan. Um, it does normal. seem like an interesting, yeah, like an maybe, interesting pick. Maybe uh, Dulles or you know something like that. But Reagan, I mean, that's right like into a, the heart of the the heart yeah. of the country, if you right. will. Right, yeah. and I can understand. And the CEO was on board. That's yep. pretty confident. Did he have passengers on board? That's hundred passengers, including the travelers. CEO. Wow. Yeah, but that's you well, know that's just good to to show the you know, the testing that has gone into it, the confidence that they did, that they did have on it, that we flew an airplane from, you know, those two airports with people on it, including a CEO and went off without a hitch. Yeah. And United CEO, uh, I believe it's Scott Kirby, right? Correct. Uh, today he, he was quoted in this article. I just looked it up myself today. SAF flight or SAF flight is not only a significant milestone for efforts to decarbonize our industry, but when combined with the surge in commitments to produce and purchase alternative fuels, we're demonstrating the scalable and impactful way companies can join together and play a role in addressing the biggest challenge of our lifetimes. So this is actually pretty interesting. I remember reading it, but I, I did not realize uh, that they had already completed a flight. Yeah, I you know I think that this is pretty cool because I you know I I do think that you know emissions and global emissions are probably a little bit of an issue and contributing to the warming and if we can find figure out ways you know that are realistic because as solar powered passenger airlines I don't think are realistic no um, as much as you know pipe dreams aren't going to help um, but if we can find things that do work and and to have this actually have happened already, I, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And then to go electric and although battery technology is getting better, um, but you'd have to change everything about the airplane, the, the motors, because they're it's not just, engines, they're motors, you know, it's and not it's electrical. It's feasible and for the amount, I mean, too the heavy. amount of power that it takes to get an aircraft in the air is, I mean, think about it, you're, you're propelling so, a 200,000 pound aircraft at 600 miles an hour, six miles above the earth. You're just not going to be able to do that with some solar panels. <laughs> I heard a rubber band and a plastic propeller works really well too. 
<laughs> Maybe if we put the two together, you know. There you go. There you Rubber go. Rubber bands, propellers, and solar. Yeah. Well, before we take a, a quick break, I did want to mention the flight training bill that was dropped from the Defense Authorization Act. Now, this is not something that most people, I think, are going to uh, know about. This is from an article from AvWeb, and just briefly, uh, Russ Niles on December 18th uh, published this flight training bill dropped from the defense authorization. It may be back to legislative drawing board for aviation leaders trying to undo a disruptive policy change at the FAA, they say has added unnecessary paperwork and bureaucracy to specialized flight training. Now, what they're talking about, flight training, not like in your typical, like, normal category or utility category airplane like a Cessna or whatever or a Piper they're talking about like warbirds and things like that now deep within the National Defense Authorization Act passed by both the House and Senate was a bill to eliminate the need for instructors teaching on anything but standard category aircraft to have a letter of deviation authority or an ALODA or a written exemption from the FAA the bill called the Certainty for General Aviation Pilots Act of 2021 was among the casualties as Democratic and Republican leadership pared the defense bill down to its basics to ensure the military continued to be funded, according to AOPA. So I'll put a link in the show note on this for anyone who wants to continue to read this article. But this may affect some some aviators out there that are trying to get flight instruction done in their you know, personal airplanes that are not a normal category aircraft. So, one more thing. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back after a brief message from our sponsors. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Well, we've been speaking with Captain Roger about what's been going on in the industry in terms of biofuels, in terms of Sullenberger's new appointment to ICAO, and fuel leaks and maintenance delays and recovery obligations. And now we have a treat. Recently, one of our listeners reached out to me. And we had a little back and forth with his journey in aviation, how he was a flight instructor locally close to where I live here in Southern California. And we started talking about how he comes from a long line of aviators. His father is a retired Legacy Airlines captain. His grandfather was a pilot uh, in the war in World War II. I mean, amazing journey. And, and I look forward to having him on a future show as he's moving along in his journey. He also reached out for a little bit of advice. And through that, he was able to apply to and get a conditional letter of employment from one of our favorite airlines out there at, the, at a regional that we affectionately called Sandpiper. Now, he reached out to me and said, listen, man, I've been listening to your show. I'd love to take you up in one of our airplanes at the flight school. Uh, we'll call it a discovery flight, whatever you want. And, you know, I just love to get you back in GA. I know you talk about how much fun you had over with uh, Christy Wong on that episode. And, hey, let's get you up. And I said, well, thank you so much. That's a 
this very kind and generous to, to offer to take me up. And so we went back and forth a few more times and our schedules finally met up. And I was able to take a drive on a day off. I went down to Riverside Municipal Airport and got to meet all the people over there at the Riverside Flight Academy. Now I'll put a link in the show notes for Riverside Flight Academy. Uh, you can find them on the internet, riversideflightacademy.com. And you can learn about how you too can go up on a Discovery flight or get some flight lessons. Now, I haven't, you know, really been in a Cessna in quite a while. And so this was quite the experience. I was able to record the entire Discovery flight, the audio, and a little bit of video as well. And I'd love to share it with all of you. It's a little different format from what we're used to here on Squawk Ident, but I think it's a fantastic experience and there's some great conversation as well. Here we are at the Riverside Airport on a beautiful morning and it's a good day to go fly. So I was invited to come out for a, what comes to a discovery flight with one of our listeners. Now I'm here with Alex Daigle and he's going to take me up. He's a certified flight instructor at the Riverside Flight Academy and he's going to take me up for a wonderful discovery flight. I just want to say thank you so much for the invite. Alex, how are you doing today? Doing well, Tony. I'm doing well. I'm glad that we were finally able to connect and uh, meet up to, to get you up in the air. Yeah, I'm super excited. As a matter of fact, before I was leaving the house today, the family was like, are you excited? You're going to get to fly in a Cessna today? And I was just a little nervous. And this is, we were talking about this earlier, the first time since 2004 that I will be behind the controls of a Cessna 172. And I got to tell you, <laughs> it's exciting. I'm ready to get you up. Are you ready to go flying? Let's do it. And we're going to do our best to get some audio from the flight. Centurion 222, Alpha Tango, Fable, turn left hotel. What's your request? Centurion 2 Alpha Hotel, follow that Cherokee on Alpha. Taxi via uh, Hotel Alpha and Bravo, Mantra Ground. Okay, I think we're we're in the green. I think we're in the green. Cool. Question is, where do I put this? Where it won't <laughs> fly away? Everything's good. Rudders are good. Instruments are instrumenting. All right. So while you're going through the the pre-flight yeah menu, we are here in a Cessna 172 at Riverside Municipal Airport with Alex, and he has offered to send me up flying in a 172, something I, it's a 172 I have not done since 2004. Oh, wow. Last time I was at the controls at a 172. So, man, this is uh, quite the treat. Very exciting. Yeah. So we did mag check. We got our DG aligned. What's next on the checklist, Alex? We are at the point where we are getting ready to do our takeoff. Everything checked out good in our run-up, so uh, now it's just getting out on a tower and uh, getting out of here. All right, so, let's do it. All right. Doors and windows closed. Closed and latched. Good. All right. My controls. Your aircraft. Riverside Tower, Cessna 726, Mike Mike. Holy short 27 for a left crosswind departure. Archer 207, Charlie Bravo, do you want to circle north or south? 
You want to do the takeoff? Sure. All right. What's the rotation speed? Uh, about 55. Okay. Cessna 726 Mike Mike Riverside Tower hold. Holding short of 277, so 726 Mike Mike. Holding short. I was just getting myself in position. Yes, sir. It's funny because sometimes this uh, will peak out, which I absolutely can't have. But right now, I don't know, I might have some kind of internal uh, limiter. But right now, it's fantastic. That's good. Alright, so for the takeoff, right? We will follow the center line and get us out there. Um, start your roll, right? Apply the, the, the throttle nice and smooth. Watch your takeoff speed. All right, Tony, your controls. All right, my aircraft. Runway heading. Runway heading until he tells us. So yeah, apply power smoothly, right? Get a center line, apply power, about 55 knots, just ease into the back pressure, and she'll climb. All right, feet off the brakes. Feet Here off the we brakes. Go. 74 for uh, VY. Sky out 239, fly southbound for traffic. Turning southbound 239. 55, and there she goes. It's like you never forget, right? Yeah, it's like flying, it's like flying an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Mike traffic, 12 o'clock, one mile southbound of Skyhawk at 1,800. Roger, looking for that traffic, 6 Mike Mike. Sky 6 Mike Mike traffic, it is now moving to 11 o'clock, a mile at 1,800. Roger, still looking, 6 Mike Mike. And so they're above us, coming yep. through 1,002. So they're somewhere over this area. I guarantee I know where they just are. They're coming in to go on the downwind. Skyhawk 239, resume mode navigation. are looking as we get out of here. Okay. Because there's just kind of this crap haze layer from the fog this morning. Frequency change approved. Good day. But I guarantee you once we get above it, it'll be nice and good. Now, I know you've flown the Wong Warrior. Uh-huh. <laughs> How does this compare to, the, to a Warrior? Well, you know, a very uh, famous question is high wing or low wing, right? Oh, yeah. It's, it's the infamous question. It's kind of almost as bad as the debate of Boeing versus... Airbus. And it's just different. It's it's not a huge change in principle because, you know, push forward, houses get bigger, pull back, the houses get smaller. And that's the great thing about uh, the simplicity of aviation and, and uh, how wonderful it is. However, there's just a little bit difference. You can feel it, for me, in the CG of the airplane. Um, the Cessna seems to be a little bit more stable, especially when you're doing slower flight. Um, the Wong Warrior is a fantastic airplane. Got a nice amount of horsepower for a uh, single engine, and um, I like the view from the Wong Warrior because you look to your left and right and you see a wing. Frigate proof, see it. Archer 207, Charlie Bravo, taxi. No, it's, that's the one thing that I've always appreciated about Cessnas is that you get more of a view of the ground, but the Pipers, you get more of a view of what you should be seeing. 
Yes. So, and I, 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 like you, have flown both. Uh, for training purposes, I completely say a 172. Yeah. 100%. Shows your flaws, shows your mistakes, you know, especially when you're trying to learn to land. Yep. Uh, Fantastic trainer. Uh, great for aerial photography. As a, yep. a little way I made some extra money when I was a CFI in Phoenix, I had a client that enjoyed uh, doing aerial photography for real estate investors. And I would... Uh, undo the latch on the window so it, instead of opening at a 45 it would open at full 90 nice and he'd stick his camera out the window and we'd do slow flight around the phoenix area i remember one of my highlights was we had to do a uh, a position he would file it with the tracon okay we had to do a position on the approach end of two seven two six so we're good up to what three five three five i mean we could go whatever you want three five is just kind of a good altitude to kind of fly around at around here okay so for your perspective, we just crossed the 91. Okay. Uh, the 91-215 is over yonder. Okay. And then uh, Lake Matthews is kind of straight in front of us, if you've heard of Lake Matthews. Yes, I fly over on the departure uh, quite often out of Ontario. Well, now you get to see it from, you know, this altitude, not that altitude. I can't tell you <laughs> how many times it's, I've gotten traffic. 11 o'clock, low altitude, 3,500. It's probably us. <laughs> Uh, one of the coolest stories that I got to share with my dad of uh, flying is, uh, this was 2005, 2006 time frame. He was still flying, and he got out of John Wayne, and he was doing a kind of a southbound departure to go out to Dallas, I'm assuming, because generally every flight from John Wayne would go to Dallas and then Dallas to wherever. Yeah. Um, and uh, he got me on fingers, and we had a little conversation in the air when I was out on a solo flight for my, when I, when I didn't have my license yet, I was still a solo student. And we had a conversation, and he told me, hey, keep uh, keep your nose up in a turn and uh, stay safe out there. That's nice. So that was, that was for me, that was kind of one of my highlights. All right, so we are over Lake Matthews area. Um, nothing too exciting to see here, but this is kind of our normal training practice area okay. for where I take my students. I can also take them up to the Cajon Pass-ish area. Ah. Uh -huh. But that's a pain in the butt to get on with, to get out and get on with SoCal and cross through Ontario's and all that. However, this airspace gets really super busy. Yeah. Because we've got Riverside. Yeah. We've got Corona and Chino. And they all funnel to here. I see. So this is the, the practice area for this side of Southern California. Yes. So for, for these uh, Inland Empire airports, if you will. Yeah. Cable uses the north area. Um, obviously San Bernardino uses the north area, um, but this is for the, the, I guess the Southwest's Inland Empire. Sure. And then the only other airport that's really around here are two airports is French Valley and Hemet, and they use kind of the wine country, the lakes over there, uh, as their practice areas. So the big thing that we have to be concerned with here is not going up above three, nine for March's airspace. Uh-huh. But it's, it's over there, so you're fine. I have three rules when it comes to flying. Okay. Uh, you see these round, moundy-looking things? Okay. Don't hit them. Don't hit those. Loud crunching noises. Cumulus granitus. Yes. Uh, the white, puffy things. Okay. Today, it's kind of a more of a big deal, right? But we kind of tend to want to avoid those on a VFR day, right? Yeah. We're not, we're not filed, so. Um, and then uh, if we see any little white movie objects in the sky... That kind of look like airplanes. Don't hit for them. Yeah, don't hit for them, right? They make loud crunching noises as well. Sometimes loud crunching noises with a bang. It's no fun. 
Oh, you heard about the noise abatement between the uh, 7.5 and uh, the 7.47? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At like 37,000 feet? 37,000 feet, yeah. yeah. For noise abatement climb? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why? Well, that's the sound of what happens when a 7.4 and a 7.5 collide. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is fantastic. I mean, the views here, I mean, we're doing uh, 95 knots, level at around 35,000 feet. Yeah, forgive me. There's no autopilot in this thing. <laughs> you <laughs> are the autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just pushing along down the 15 corridor, yeah? Yeah. We can go uh, down like we're going down to Temecula. There you go. You got Lake Elsinore off to your, uh, what, 10 o'clock-ish right there? Yeah. Good kind of waypoint to use. I don't think the skydivers are out today, so we'll see. And we're monitoring... Uh, Lake Matthews traffic. Lake Matthews, got it. Nobody's out. So, but it's good to kind of keep the monitor, right? And we'll just kind of keep on going, and I'll switch us over to kind of Elsinore-ish area. And yeah. Oh, you tell me. No, you're, we're good. Wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, it's your airplane. Like I said, my three standing rules are in effect. I trust you enough not to hit a cumulative granitous cloud, and uh, we'll uh, be good. It's kind of our big worry for the day is those. But it is uh, starting to get almost to a severe clear. Yeah, it's, it's getting there. It's starting to burn off this morning. I feel like I'm doing traffic watch in a... Uh, <laughs> we got traffic on the 15 freeway out here. Funnily enough, there is a traffic watch airplane that comes into our airport in the afternoon. Now, you know, you said we were VFR, but I am flying IFR right now because I am following this road. Uh, I started at a helicopter and fixed-wing flight school, and the helicopter guys are like, yeah, we fly IFR all the time. I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, we follow roads. Yeah. Uh, you know, even even in mainline, um, when you're going into an airport like DFW or you're going into an airport like LA or Ontario, you, you follow these instrument tracks and you notice that which freeways get you basically where they want you on this instrument track. And really, you do tell yourself quite often, hey, if I lost an engine right now or lost all comms and I couldn't see the airport or, you know, I had an electrical emergency and I can't use my navigation guidance for whatever reason, all the screens go black. I know, because I've come in here a handful of times, that if I just follow this road at these certain altitudes, at this certain airspeed, because you always have your standby instruments. Yep. And you at least get in the ballpark of the airport and you know, hopefully do a low pass over the airport, get some light gun signals from the tower, rock your wings, squawk the appropriate code, whatever you have available to you. Would you do that in a, a big, like a, like a A320 family as well? In instrument flight rules, those apply regardless. So if you go no comm for whatever reason, let's say both radios, actually all three radios in our airplane, uh, go out, uh, and you have no other means to communicate, other than your transponder, yeah, I'd squawk the appropriate no-com code, and I would follow the flight path as prescribed in the in the rules, and I would time it so that I would land at the destination exactly when we're supposed to land and follow the clearance as, because when you're cleared on an instrument flight rule, in the clearance, they'll say, you are cleared to the DFW International Airport, for example. That means that if we lost comms, I'm cleared to follow my path all the way to that airport. So and that the, would be the safest route because they know exactly what you're doing, they know exactly what altitude you should be at, and they know exactly when you should be landing. 
So the Avenue F and MEA that you learned back uh, in instrument flight rule, like your instrument rating, still apply even to the big guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's good that there is at least a lot of carryover for you know, that. The difference between flying this airplane, the Cessna 172, versus flying an Airbus 321 or a Boeing 737 or whatever, is the fact that this airplane's smaller, that airplane's bigger, and it holds a lot more people. But when your instrument flight rules, your instrument flight rules, it gotcha. does not matter. Well, you just learned me something today. There you go. That's actually pretty incredible to know that everything that we carry over, and I figured the 121 world would have, I wouldn't say different, but some different... I mean, sure there are nuances, of course. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're still you're still following IFR. Gotcha. And, and those rules apply whether you're crossing over the uh, the Atlantic, the Pacific. Yep. In sight. The, which way are they going? Looks like, I believe that's the skydive Elsinore plane. All so right. they're probably going to come out this way, keep climbing, and then keep climbing. So... Kind of oh, keep them. Stay clear of them. I'll stay over the freeway because I don't think that they'll. Uh... I got you. Let's try this out. Skydive Elsinore, uh, are you guys up and operational this morning? Yes, we are very busy. We got uh, at least three aircraft up. Gotcha. I'm tracking one. Looks like they're on the northwest corner of the lake. We're uh, kind of just northwest of them. Uh, we're kind of keep to the east of the 15. Copy. Are you six point Mike? That's primitive. Copy. I'm tracking you on ADSC. And I got eyes on you now. Roger, we'll stay east of the 15 for you guys. Thanks, thanks for checking in with us. Appreciate it. No worries. Have a safe jumper operations. Appreciate it. And, and that's fantastic. You saw him visually. You made the radio call. Um, the nice thing I liked about flying in the Wong Warrior with Christy was she had a knee board with her... Uh, just give you a head tablet. I, I called Bob. He's gonna be here about right here underneath. Yeah, and through her GPS antenna, Thank she God. could tell you what airplane, what tail number was flying where. So we could avoid traffic miles away before we could get a line of sight on them. I normally have my iPad up and operational, but I figured with today being is kind of not severe clear that there wouldn't be too many planes and it'd be easier to pick them out. Yeah. So, yeah, I normally do. So you do the same? Oh, 100%. And so do you have your own Stratus set up and yeah. everything? Uh, I have my Stratus. I, uh, like I said, I would have brought it, but the, being able to pick them out is a lot easier than it, you know, than it is, uh, you know, on a normal day. So. I'm an advocate of eyes out, oh, I'm eyes in. Oh, I'm 100% advocate of eyes out. And, and flying the line on a 121 carrier as well, I can tell you that there's different rules of thought. Some captains, like, when we're taxiing, I need you to be eyes out with me. And if you're going to be eyes in, let me know. And I so much appreciate that because... Then I'll go, okay, I'm heads down for a minute. That tells the captain, okay, I'm on my own out here. I'm taxiing the airplane. Because 9 out of 10, a mistake is going to happen on the ground. Yep. During taxi. Yep, you're going to get some kind of runway incursion. You don't. You deal with it more than we would in the sense of, um, like, having trucks and, you know, ramp carts and all that stuff coming out and darting in your way. Right. We generally just have airplanes coming in and out that we can see and whatnot. But... Uh, you know, going into like an LAX where you've got ramp carts and food trucks and fuel trucks and, uh, you know, airport operations and 
you know, they have their own road set on top of your own road set that it's, yeah, it's an incredible game to watch a controller. The first time you sit in the uh, flight deck of a, of a 121 airplane, commercial airline, and you're approaching at an airport like Dallas, LA, Chicago, and you see all these vehicles, and you're like, why aren't they getting out of my way? It's like, oh, we can make it. And they go, and you're like, what? And it's amazing to, to be able to, to see that the first time. You think, oh, my gosh, why aren't they giving way to us? Yep. No, 100%. This is where uh, the area where a lot of retired pilots live. Canyon Lake? Canyon Lake. Yep. I'm glad you know your area. Well, I fly over it. <laughs> True. Hey, what, what's this lake right here? <laughs> so, for situational awareness, right? We got Canyon Lake. Yep. If you see the lake out over that way, uh -huh. that's uh, Diamond Valley Reservoir. Okay. Uh, so that puts Hemet out over that way. All right. Uh, if you can catch the glimmer through the clouds over there, that's uh, Lake Skinner. Yeah. That's yeah. another reservoir. And then Temecula is kind of this side of Skinner. Okay. We're Canyon Lake, Lake Elsinore right now, which puts Marietta, Temecula to our south. And Menifee is kind of right in front of us. Very cool. You want to do kind of a box? Uh, yeah, so let's not go that way because that's Marchish. So let's go that way. Uh, make right turns. Not, not NASCAR. We have to make right turns. And I'm glad you're doing left and right because I love using the joke that you can't beat Derek Zoolander. And it gets lost on my students. I feel like I'm that old guy. And I'm like, they're like, what do you mean Derek Zoolander? I'm like, you have to ambiturn. And they're like, what? And I'm like, okay, your, your homework tonight is to go watch Zoolander. Well, you heard me on the show talk about that student just recently. That uh, they were one, a, a pilot at a regional airline, brand new, and I was giving them IOE, and I was making all these references to airplane, and they're like, what, what's that film? They, they tell me I should watch it. I'm like, come on, man. Well, surely you can't be serious. I'm serious. Don't come surely. Uh, that movie is one of my top ten favorite movies. It's it's a cult classic, no different than Top Gun. I mean, they're not serious films. You can't you gotta take them with a grain of salt, but y you know the lines are epic. Oh, I, Top Gun is again one of my top ten movies, just because if just the, for the pure like what first five minutes where they're launching off the carrier and they're doing their whole sequence and it's just yeah. oh. And I'm so sad that Top Gun 2 keeps getting pushed. Yeah. Because I've been waiting patiently for 30 years. Well, there's a lot of, of actual drama, suspense, suicide, and a political well, nightmare associated with the production of Top Gun 2. Really? Absolutely. The... Uh, there's a lot of controversy that uh, the public doesn't know about. I did I mean, not know that. Yeah, the original director was was slotted to to actual actually direct this Top Gun two, and before filming or whatnot, he ended up throwing himself off a bridge in Los Angeles. Ugh. And you know, we really don't know why. It was, uh, the studio did a great job keeping it hush, but yeah, it uh, definitely is an issue. And uh, Tom Cruise, though, I, you know, my hat's off to him. People can say a lot of things, that he's not a good actor and all this and that. And he does have issues, uh, you know, personal issues in real life. But he's a person. He's a, I think he's a phenomenal 
producer and actor, and he's got a long history of, of film, and his passion for aviation is on par probably with Harrison Ford's passion for aviation, and he's done a great thing for the community just by bringing in um, knowledge and passion to people that may like him as, an, as a film actor and not realize that, oh, he's a pilot too? I didn't realize Tom Cruise was a pilot. He, used to, he flew his P-51 to the set every day of the filming of Top Gun. He's the one that insisted that the actors actually pulled the Gs in the airplane with the um, IMAX uh, movie cameras in the cockpit because you cannot CGI the contortion to the face pulling Gs. So when you finally do get the chance to see that film, and I, that might just have to be a squawk I didn't meet up. <laughs> Let's go yeah. see the premiere of Top Gun 2. Uh, but yeah, definitely... It, I'm looking forward to it like you are, and I know that there's a lot of aviators out there that just want to go. Um, I, have a, I have a fantastic story, and I hope to interview him someday, but um, I flew with this captain I, I admire uh, tremendously. He's one of my mentors, and uh, he was a, a Navy pilot. And he tells a story how when he selected his equipment, he selected a helicopter instead of a fixed wing. And uh, that weekend, they went on leave in San Diego. He's a Navy guy. And uh, he went to go see the movie Top Gun with all of his uh, fellow, I don't know what you call them, recruits or you know, people that were in basic with him. Yeah. And uh, he saw Top Gun, and he came out of there so depressed. The next day, his CO was like, what, what's, your, what's your problem? And he says, well, you know, I think I made a mistake by selecting helicopters because now all the ladies are going to be all, I think maybe fixed wing was the word to go. He's like, no, no, you're fine. You, you, you made a good, smart choice. It's a, it's a respectable respectable uh, choice. You know, helos are great. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, well, you know what? Go see, go see the med. So he, he, he went to go see the doctor on the base, and he's like, okay, I'm going to give you 24 hours. Just you made a good choice. You need to relax, and don't worry. So I'm going to give you 24 hours to just medical leave. Yeah. So every time he got a promotion in the Navy, he always had to answer to his CO and explain why in his fitness report it said 24-hour leave because of Top Gun. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that, that actually is a good story. <laughs> that Top Gun depressed him so much. It, it, it depressed him. He thought maybe he made a mistake. But actually, he had a fantastic career. And uh, we wish him well. He retired a few years back. I'm going to try to reach out to him soon. Nice. Get him on the show. So where are we here? We're, I'm looking down at all these little airplanes, these little houses. Now, earlier you asked me about, you know, what did, what did you like better, of, uh, the Piper or the, the Cessna? And, you know, I, have a, I love them both. But here's the great thing about when you're starting out in aviation. Sure, you're learning how to manipulate the controls of the aircraft and achieve level flight, which I'm doing my best to, to try to keep, trying to keep my, my foot on the ball there. I know this airplane needs a little bit of left rudder constantly. Yeah, it's a little backwards. Yeah. And, um, and so, but to look down over my left shoulder and look at all these houses, I mean, this is fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's the whole point of aviation is... Once you get up and you get and you see it for the first time, and it's something that you can't describe to somebody. There's no describing this. You get up and you're flying over houses. And one of my things that I like to do, depending on where they live in relation to the airport, is, hey, where do you live? Let's go fly over your house. Nice. And that right there, that generally seals it for them. 
now. But we are currently at the south side of Temecula. We've made it all the way from Riverside to Temecula in about 15, 20 minutes. Yep. If we were doing that in a car, that would easily be an hour, which, again, is another great thing about aviation that I love. Do me a favor, your aircraft. Yep, my aircraft. I tried to capture, capture some video. That's what I neglected to grab is, yeah. a, uh, is the cell phone. No, go. Again, go for it. should have brought a uh, suction cup holder or something. We actually, a little while ago, flew over my house. Oh, we did we? Yeah. You didn't point it out? Yeah, uh, well, we're talking, and uh, we get it on the way back. I'll show you. There you go. We can <laughs> text your wife and do a low pass. Ah, uh, she's at work. I'm clear. I'm going to turn us around here. They don't need the compass. Now here comes the real question of, can we keep the airplane stable enough in turns to not have it fall? Well, that's completely up to you, sir. <laughs> it's also up to you, because I'm giving you the airplane back once you get everything all stabilized. French Valley traffic system, 103, turn left base, 18, number 2, French Valley. Traffic inside, taxi away, 18, inside, tip Well, what a treat. French Valley traffic, helicopter 921, you're going to go. I'll sync up the sound later. Right left traffic, French Valley traffic. Look at that. There we go. We are now heading back northbound. I'll point out my house. I'm going to kind of put it off my side. Actually, I'll put it off your side. Okay. I know exactly where we are. So when I actually first started flight instructing, I started up at uh, French Valley, which is off to our, uh, yeah, what, 2 o'clock? Yeah. Yeah, I started flight instructing up there, and there's there's a long story that's uh, not uh, not very Squawk Ident friendly. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, we will talk offline about it, but <laughs> but uh, I started flight instructing out of there. So this is my stomping grounds when it comes to where I know I am and everything. So I'm going to give you back the airplane, so it's okay. your controls. If you keep us on this heading, we'll fly and the, my house will be off of your side. Okay. So I'm going to just turn my heading bug to a 330 degree heading. We're at 3,500 feet, 95 knots. Looking good. Airplane is trimmed out. I can take my hands off the control and we're not falling out of the sky. That's how you want to fly. That's it. Trim is your friend. And you don't fly via trim. Trim is to assist you. To main, to help maintain your airspeed pitch. And it attitude. is a common misnomer with students. Oh, I, I fly via trim. No, 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 no. How do you no. fly via trim? Oh, I want to pitch up. Let me throw some trim in. Did they? Oh. I've had to break a couple students of that. You, you, you broke them? Yes, 100%. Oh, okay. Break bad habits. Apparently, I'm the uh, clean upper at the flight school. Nice. People send, I get students sent to me that, like, hey, I'm trying to get this student to understand this concept. Take them and try to show it to them. Now, at the flight school, how many students do you have right now? Six or seven. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty full schedule then. Yeah. I fly, so my days that I normally fly are Thursday through Monday, and I've pretty much got a full student load every day. Okay. So. The so Thursday through Monday gives you a couple of days off. Tuesday. And what's a full student loan? Three? Four. Four students. Four students a day, nine to five. And so what's what's involved with a typical flight lesson? Depends on where the student's at, right? Uh, but it's doing a 10 to 20 minute pre-flight of getting them kind of like, this is what we're doing today. Um, getting, getting them just used to, uh, you know, 
lesson plans and all that of like how we're going to start following things. I'm going to put a pause on that. My house is right over there. So if you see the dirt patch and where the construction is, yeah. uh, the, that's a corner right there, right? Okay. The corner where the houses are, the two sides, yeah. on the south side, on that corner right there. Oh, we're clear left. Let's check it out. So, we are, if you look at this construction road right here, right? Uh-huh. And you follow that road to the intersection. Okay. The intersection on the south side, which we're pivoting over, on the end of that cul-de-sac is my house. Okay, I know exactly where you're at. Yeah. So we are right over my house, which is always a good treat. So is this is this this not a steep turn? It's only 30 degrees. Yeah, it's just a normal turn. But yes, there's my house. This is my neighborhood. My wife's at work. My kids are my kids' school. One of them is over there, and then my other kids' school is over here. And and you got a nice little park and a pond right here. Oh, I love it. Very nice. It is a very very beautiful neighborhood that we live in. Okay, so going back into the, so a typical student, as they come in, right, 20 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes of a, a, a pre-flight. Okay. Um, kind of going over maneuvers. Hey, that was a good turn. You know what that was? That was our wake. That, that was our wake. <laughs> <laughs> so 10 to 20 minutes of a pre-flight of going over what we're going over that day. Um, and then, uh, you know, they normally come in and pre-flight the airplane, and then they'll come in and see me, and we'll talk, and then we'll go out. Um get them out into the practice area or if we're staying into the pattern, staying in the pattern. Uh, hour to hour and a half, depending on who the student is and what they can handle. Um, and then come back in and have a 10 to 20 minute post-flight of whatever. And about that time, my other student should be coming in so that I have a little bit of overlap, right, where one's coming in, one's going out, and they're going out pre-flighting and redoing the same thing. Nice. So what is the number one issue that is the common thread that you're seeing right now with the students you have for private pilot? Ooh, God. Um, checklist usage. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's, they get complacent, right? I have a student, and I'm, again, not mentioning names or anything like that, right? But I have a student who, uh, he... He thinks he's a little bit better than what he is and kind of rushes through some things, and I kind of have to slow him down and, you know, hey, did you check your checklist? Hey, did you follow that? Hey, what's going on with that? Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the big thing that I see. Um, situational awareness um, can be a thing of not knowing where you're at, right? And especially if you get somebody newer, right, that you're trying to figure out, like, where the areas are still. Yeah. That can be kind of a common issue as well. But that's that gets broken... Lesson five, lesson six. Okay. But that is kind of a more newer student. Uh, later students, it's just complacency. Yeah. You know, like you've got 40, 50 hours, you know. Well, national average is sitting about 80 hours right now to get a private pilot's license, which is insane. Because um, the FAA minimum say 40. It's still at 40? Okay. still at 40. Yeah. Uh, but no one does it in 40 anymore. And we, we recently talked about this, uh, the difference between PTS and, what was it, ACS? ACS, yes. So now you're using ACS yep. as a standard for yep. a private pilot. What's the difference? Uh, the difference being ACS is takes risk management into it now. 
Uh, PTS is just basically like, can you complete the maneuver, you know, as dictated, right? Uh, can you hold your plus or minus 100, plus or minus 10, plus or minus 10? Did you do it like this? Right. Uh, ACS now kind of takes into situational awareness, uh, risk management, or scenario-based training, uh, rather than just, hey, we're going to do a maneuver for maneuver's sake. Does that make sense? Yep. So today's pilots are getting that. So the hazardous attitudes that we learned about previously are now being assessed uh -huh. throughout every, the every flight. Every flight. And they're, they're still a thing, but you kind of squash them at an earlier phase than you would into, you know, just following the PTS. Like, you and I both learned on PTS for private pilot. All right. And when I got my commercial uh, in 2017, I was one of the last, I wouldn't say I was the last one, but I was on the phase out of PTS because shortly thereafter they started using ACS. Uh, so, but flight instructor is still under PTS. Yes, for now. For now. Yes. They're, they're in process of redoing that uh, to just balance it out and uh, to, to make it more risk management and more scenario-based stuff for flight instructors. To go kind of what you're teaching your students. Yes. Now you're, you learn from your students as, I mean, this is a process that happens completely within your career. You learn from your students. Captains learn from their FOs. FOs learn from their captains. I mean, it's just, you're constantly learning. And if you think you know it all or you, you, you understand and no one's going to teach you anything, it's a recipe for disaster. What's the best thing you've learned from one of your students? Or most impressive thing you've learned? To, to really kind of take each lesson as it is. To learn that lesson. Um, and that's not just from us, dude. That's from all my students. That, like, you take each lesson as it comes. You don't think ahead what's in the future. You don't dwell on what happened on the last lesson, right? Like, what you've got is what you've got. Don't worry about what happened here, right? Because every pilot, and I try to tell this to my students, every pilot's going to have a bad day of flying. You could go out and, like, you're doing, we go out and we practice maneuvers, right? We're going out and doing slow flights, steep turns, stalls, uh, turns about a point, has turns across a road, like, you name it, right? We're doing it. But he executes them flawlessly. And then the next day we go out and he can't hold a heading in an altitude to save his life. And, he, you know, you could see the, just the defeat on their face when they come back in. And you're like, dude, like, it's okay. Like, you're allowed to have a bad day of flying. Like, yeah. you are 100% allowed, you know? Same thing with going in the pattern, right? He, he could start, click, it starts clicking, right? And everything's starting to flow, and you're getting, you know, landing after landing, and it's good. And then the next day, he's slamming them into the ground and, you know, bouncing them and doing go-arounds. And he's like, I, I just don't understand. I did it perfectly this time. I believe so. You know, like, you're allowed to have bad days. Don't let that bad day defeat you. Come back the next lesson, clean slate, brand new. And that's kind of how I've taken each lesson from my students. Yeah. You, you got to take each student and each lesson as it is. And once you kind of grasp that, as an instructor, everything starts becoming easier. Also pushing your students to let them make mistakes. Yeah, don't constantly correct them. That's, that's an instructor. I mean, there's a lot of instructor mistakes that instructors make. We've all made them. I've made them. You know, it just... You, you gotta 
recognize them and try not to make them again. You've got to let your students take it to the point where they realize this is not the path. And then what I would do with my later students before their check ride, when I knew they've got it, but they're still, maybe they lacked a little bit of confidence, they like, still wanted to go up for a couple more lessons, I would intentionally try to trick them. I would, you know, I would fail an instrument. I would, you know, have something go wrong with the airplane where they didn't realize it. I know there was a lot of trips. I'm sure you have some tricks, too, that you can simulate an emergency to your student just to see how they react because there's going to be a day, the day after they take their check ride, they can go up by themselves legally. And your name is on that endorsement. Yep. So you got to make sure they're prepared because you want you want to make sure that they make good decisions. Yep. And one of my favorite distractions that I love doing to, to students, you, know, you remember back in the day when we were flying, right, learning to fly, um, what would your instructor do? Drop a pencil? Yeah. And you'd pick it up, right, and distract you and all that stuff. I, you don't have to do that anymore. You know what I love doing? Just having a conversation like we're doing right now. Yeah. Like we're getting close to, like on a climb out, getting close to 3,500 feet, and I'll just start talking to him. Yep. And by the time I, we, he realizes it, we're at like 3,900 feet. <laughs> That's what happens on the flight deck at an airline, is that you were talking and you and you were at deep in this conversation because you're you're flying with somebody that you get along with and you're talking and having this great conversation. And next thing you know, you, you forgot to reset your altimeter and you're <laughs> leveling off and you're like, oh, well, doo -doo -doo -doo, and then ATC says, say altitude, and you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me let me recycle my transponders. So you turn it off, get back to your altitude, <laughs> turn it back on. And it's you're like, ah, I just cycled the transponder, altitude to 35,000 feet. Are you showing that too? I'm like, oh, yeah, we showed you 300 off, but okay, you're, you're good now. Is that, is that the airline trick? <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody. Oh, okay, I won't. I won't say a thing. And as soon as you land? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're coming back on the tail end south side of Lake Matthews. Okay. So I'm going to start prepping us, getting ready to go back into Riverside and um, getting us into uh, Absolutely. some pattern work. Let you do a couple laps of the pattern. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> All right. Remember. You got life insurance, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Don't flare at 50 feet. Say oh shit three times. Oh, okay. That's good advice. <laughs> You're actually the first airline guy that I've taken up, so I'm a, this is going to be a new one for me. So. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I will. I, and I, and you, you hit the nail on the head. I've, I've talked about it before. You know, I used to have uh, British Airways 747 pilots on layovers in Phoenix when I was an instructor there. And my, the owner of the flight school reached out and said, hey, if you guys are on layovers, you want to come rent a Cessna 172 as long as you get checked out with one of our flight instructors. We'll check you out and you're bring your logbook and uh, you can go putz around, fly down to Tucson or Sedona or something. And they would, they'd come out and they'd, they'd just cause they're used to flying 747s. They're two stories up, taxing around. And we tell them in the brief, you're gonna wanna flare at 150 feet, <laughs> okay? You, you need to flare at like 10, 15 feet. And they go, oh yeah, 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 no problem. <laughs> and you'd sit there with your hand on the on the yoke, and you're like, not yet, not yet. And you hear them go, oh bugger, oh oh why me, oh bloody hell. And then you, and like, okay, now you can flare. And they're like, holy crap. <laughs> so yeah, you can expect that. Okay, good. <laughs> so I'll uh, I'll bring us once we get kind of over Matthews. Absolutely. I'll take over, bring us into the pattern, right? And I'll get you kind of established. They're probably going to put us over the auto center for a left base entry. Okay. Just going off of expected stuff, knowing where we are. Um, I'll get us onto that left base entry, and from there, your controls. 
So for now, fly us, and uh, I'm going to start listening to weather and doing what I should be doing as the good pilot that I am. Good pilot monitoring right yeah. now. Oh, totally. southeast corner of Matthews. Okay. Um, and the airport's that way. I know it's that way. We just can't see it with the haze and the visibility. All right. So I'll take controls. Your aircraft. My aircraft. I'm going to switch us back over to Riverside. Get us descending. Riverside Tower says 726 Mike Mike over Matthews inbound. Victor, like to do a couple laps of the pattern. The 726 Mike Mike, Riverside Tower, enter a left base, runway 27, report the auto center. Left base for the auto center, 27, 6 Mike Mike. See? Told you. Like you kind of get those in, like, in your world, right, where you get that, oh, okay, I know where this is, I know what I'm going to be expected. What to expect. That is staying ahead of the aircraft, staying ahead, that is the key to keeping your situational awareness as high as possible. I'm having a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. There's nothing like it, right? Yes, it's all well and good to be a you know nice airline pilot, fly the big stuff. But uh, being back in this kind of brings back all those memories. It, you know, this is it. This is where the passion started. Oh yeah. You know, and, and it's often forgotten. And not all airline pilots forget. I mean, there's plenty of pilots out there that own their own airplane and and are still in the GA community, but. I think the most part, for the most part, once you reach it, you're like, ah, oh, I made it, and I'm flying airliners around, and you don't really have the opportunity, most of us, to get back into the GA world. I mean, you can go out and rent an airplane, but usually by then, you know, you've got kids and a family life and yep. anything like me. Yesterday, I was digging trenches and... and dropping PVC pipe and putting an all-new irrigation in the front yard, so... Well, you say your day's off. Your your work isn't really work going to fly. Your work is at home. That's right. But when I go to work, I get to have fun, and I get... <laughs> my, my r and is at the hotel and wherever I'm going. But you... But you enjoy your job, and that's the... the, the at the end of the day, uh, I, you know, obviously with my dad and growing up in the industry and seeing it, right, my... Uh, my dad still enjoyed going to work every single day. Yeah. He would hate the commute, right? Driving from Temecula to Orange County or L.A., right? But he thoroughly enjoyed He He would tell me that he still got butterflies taking off and landing. Like, yeah. that's what aviation's about. If you have that passion for it, you turn a hobby into a paying career. Yeah, you won't have to work a day of your life. Nope. It's been fun growing up through the, the being the kid side of it, right? Yeah. And then... Now being on this side of it, trying to make make my way and break my way into the industry, and you know, seeing the I wouldn't say struggles, but seeing the the, the industry go through its cyclical, right? Yep. I lived through 9/11 with my dad. Um, I lived through the you call it the lost decade, right? Up through the uh, the 2008 crash, right? Yep. Um, I wouldn't say crash, 2008 recession, right? Yeah. Um, 
and the economic then, downturn. Yes. Yes, yes. And then obviously after after my dad retired in 2013, like I saw the industry just go again. Yeah. And then COVID. And then COVID, yeah. But, but you know, that, we're hoping that uh, starts to dissipate. I tell you what, though, man, this every day there's a new variant. I heard the Cornholio variant coming up. <laughs> Are they running out of names, so they're just calling it random stuff now? Yeah, you know, and I'll tell you what, being an airline pilot, being in the transportation industry, being in hotels in different cities and states and countries. You're going to follow a seminal that's on the left down when approaching a beam to tire. Roger, we're right now our base about 10 degrees for that Seminole, and uh, we're just about a mile south of the auto center. Seminole 16 Alpha, make sure to approach traffic to southeast of the auto center's assessment. He's going to follow you today. So, if able, turn there's the auto, the auto center, which you can see. Yeah. It's actually on the chart reported there oh, okay. as a good reporting point. So they use it as our reporting point. And the airport is about 10 o'clock from us. So, once we kind of get... Uh, wherever that Seminole is, which that's going to be fun to find. Um, I will, uh, you know what? I'll relinquish controls to you. I'll help you with your uh, flaps and when to put them in and whatnot, but okay. your controls on right. the, the actual controls controls. Uh, and I'm going to start us uh, on a nice little descent. All right, what do you want, 1,500? Uh, we're yeah, about 17. We'll go about 17. 17. With Mike, Mike, continue on that heading until you turn final. The uh, Seminole is uh, left downwind just to beam the tower. I'll keep you advised. Roger, we'll keep this heading until we turn final, 6 Mike. Mike. We're going to square out the turn. Yeah. So I'm throwing a notch of flaps in for you. You feel that rise? Yeah. Do you feel that in the Airbus at all? Is, uh, it, is it that no. prominent? No, you, you do feel a little bit of a a bump in the airspeed. Gotcha. You know? so once and, and the airplane usually is, will uh, auto-correct and pitch for it. Base. It's got logic in it. Well, you have to use your logic in this. Anticipation. Yep. All right, bird. Uh, spacing is good. Uh, Seminole you're following is uh, 10 o'clock, a little over a mile on left base, about to turn final. Runway 27, clear for the option, and left close traffic's approved. Roger, clear for the option. Seminole's in sight, uh, 27, 6 Mike Mike. Cool. All right, good spacing, east turning, yep. turning. Quarter mile south of Corona Airport, we're landing with Victor. Descent 2 Riverside, Tower Dent. Follow the 91 freeway for a left base entry to runway 27, report the auto Now the pappies are going to be crucial for me because we're not dealing with, at least not today, we're not dealing with instrument and, you know, ILSs and flight paths. Your instruments are your eyes. Eyes outside, my airspeed inside. Yep. Got that seminal short, or on the runway or short final. Can't really tell, but he's over the runway. And I'm going to go ahead and throw your next notch of flaps in if you're ready for it. Ready. Okay. There is flaps 20, or I like to call them notches, just depending on yeah. what airplane you're in. Adding a little power, adjusting my trim. And we want to be 65 on final, right, slowing. So you're looking good. A little right of center line. Good morning, stand by one. Seminole 16 Alpha, you can text you straight in the parking on this frequency. All right, I see the wheels <laughs> sign about 100 feet shy of the threshold. That's interesting. On the three red. 
the only uh, airport, only airport that I know that actually has that wheels. I'm sure they had an issue. Uh, probably a few, which is why they probably put it down for you. All right, gonna go flaps three. You good? Flaps three. Target speed is 60 knots. 60 knots on the bunny. Riverside Tower Station 65. And just remember, three O ships. Three O ships. All right, let's try it. Station 65, Papa Lima, Riverside Tower, hold turn on two seven. Now you're looking good. I'm trying not to have the death grip. No, you're good. I'll be on the controls with you just for. I see there's a little bit of an upslope for the first thousand feet. Power out. Keep it coming down. Keep it coming down, keep it coming down, powers all the way out. And flare. Alright, no worries. Alright, go on around. Alright. I saw that. <laughs> Sixty-five knots. Getting us cleaned up. Thank you very much. <laughs> Alright, so maybe three O shits was too many oceans. Too many, yeah. <laughs> I felt the bottom just bottom out, so. Little, uh, it's humbling, right? Yeah, yeah, very humbling. But you gotta let your students make their mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> very, right. very nice. Nicely done. No, that was recoverable. That was 100% good. You executed the go around, right? Perfectly good. We bounced. Oh well. Wasn't a terrible hard, but it was no. firm. <laughs> <laughs> the camera that fell yeah. uh, That's going to make for a good... Uh, six Mike Mike, if able, stretch your uh, left crosswind. Left crosswind, Six Mike Mike. <laughs> Taylor, uh, 65 Papa Lima, runway 27. That was, uh, that was fun. Crude. But your, your execution on the go-around was flawless. You instantly recognized it, right? Yeah. Threw in the power. Uh, I cleaned us up with the flaps. Yeah. So you were good. You 100% said, I don't like that. I'm doing it over, right? Exactly. Better to do that than to try to force it and have something completely bad happen. Target altitude, 1,800 feet for pattern altitude. Want me to show you how one's done? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, my controls. Your aircraft. All right, I'll do one for you, and then I'll, let, I'll, I'll get you another one. I'm going to walk you through this just like I do my students. All right, so we're shooting for 1,800 feet. Um... Airport, we're parallel. Clear for the option. Clear for the option, six Mike Mike. So, we're parallel to the airport because that's the only thing that we have right now as a good visual reference to align us with. Normally, I have a good outside cue, yeah. but we don't. Yeah, a little hazy today. A little hazy. So, I'm using my runway and keeping myself parallel with it. All right, so we he's already cleared us for the option, so we're cleared to go, right? So, beam the numbers, starting our descent. Get us a little nose down, first notch of flaps, and just kind of holding it. Okay, getting about 45 degrees to that runway. It throws me right over these ball fields that I like to use. Second notch of flaps. System 50311, Riverside Tower, hold short on 27, landing traffic. Holding short on 27, 50311. And I'm a little faster for my liking, so I'm going to back out my airspeed or my throttle here just to kind of help slow me down. And turning it into final, looking good. Once I get that final, I'm going to dump my flaps. Full flaps. A little high, but this plane will correct. Anticipation. Two white, two red. Looking good. Keeping myself center line. Right down the runway. 
Okay, I'm a little fast, so it's good. I'm gonna pull my power here, because I've got excess energy, I've gotta burn, which is fine. Holding it, get myself level along the runway. Just hold it, just hold it, just hold it, just hold it, just hold it. And just like that. Woo <laughs> All right, see? Nothing to it. The stall horn and everything. That's how you know you got a good landing. And we're on the go. Get some trim to help us out. And just like that, we're back up in the air. Nice. That's right. a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> kind of forget that it's a lot going on, right? You really do. All right. I'm gonna give you back the controls. Okay. I will be on the controls with you on this Thank one. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I scared you, didn't I? No. No, not at all. Only a little bit. I've actually only and. This is a, I've got a couple good stories for, uh, I've only been scared twice as an instructor. Oh, yeah? Which is not bad for instructing for three years. Three years as an instructor? Three years as an instructor. And I've only been scared, well, really shitless twice. So. Close calls? Uh, I'll wait till we get done, because there are a couple, there are a couple lengthy stories. We're turning across with six, Mike, Mike. Actually, one of them's a quick story. Uh, so we do a Groupon flight here at our flight school, and it brings in people to give us, you know, get them the chance Pleasure, to maybe yeah. that they wouldn't fly, right? Uh, 20 minutes in the sim, 10-minute pre-flight, and then 30 minutes in the air. And uh, so I'm in our, our Cherokee that we have, and I've told this guy about positive exchange of controls. I've told him about, you know, everything like that. We're on the ground, and we're taxiing, and I can see him start doing the... the Turning with the... Oh, yeah. yeah. And I laugh every time that that happens, right? Because it happens. Sure. Um, and he looks at me after, like, you know, a couple turns of the yoke and nothing's happening. And he's like, should I be doing anything? I'm like, no, 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 you just sit there, right? So we get to go take off, and I see him grab the controls, and I figure he's going to mirror me, like, hey, I want to feel what a takeoff feels like, right? And we, we're rocketing, like, I mean, like this. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. I'm like, what's going on? So I'm, like, throwing in the trim. I'm, like, trying to push and do all this. And finally, I let go. Of the, I'm thinking something's wrong with the airplane. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, okay, let me let go of the controls and see what happens. And I let go, and the control yoke's still back into my stomach because I see him holding it back. Yeah. And I let go of the controls. Uh. Let go of the controls. Let go of the controls, finally. Oh, okay. I'll tell you when you can take the controls. Oh, my God. And then when we went out to go in the practice area and all that stuff, I swear we were flying like this at 100 knots. <laughs> <laughs> I, lost a, I lost a friend. CFI, who is giving a stall training to another CFI candidate and uh, same thing happened and they didn't make it. She couldn't get him to uh, relinquish. I lost a buddy of mine that way too. I don't know what happened, but they went down in San Diego doing that as well. I'm going to go ahead and throw in your notch of flaps here. Flaps one. Flaps one. That will be a full stop this time. Six Mike Mike. Mike, Six Mike Mike. Oh boy. Full stop. Here we go. That's a three one one. So we're good for flaps two. We're in the white arc. Maybe. Three one Roger. Extend downwind and I'll call your base. Throwing a little bit of power. You go right about there. I've gotten used to flying by sensations now. Twenty years, and I remember <laughs> the finger technique. Right? Or you just right? use yeah. You use the finger as a guide instead of just holding the knob. Yeah. Smash your finger till it hurts. That's about as much power. Roger two nine six Charlie Bravo Riverside Ground runway two seven taxi via Bravo Alpha. All right, Tony, you got it this time. I have full faith in you. We're looking good. Power we have 
piece and we get to reuse the airplane I, at least i think we get to reuse it alex how bad was that landing after that first landing i might need maintenance to come check out everything but... oh my god now I, I warned you i was gonna flare way too high because my sight picture is quite a bit higher off the ground but i don't know was it really that bad no no it wasn't you you had a good execution on the bounce and uh threw us into a good go-around procedure and everything like that and you definitely redeemed yourself on the second one yes well thank you thank you yeah the i thought everything was looking good i was holding it off i was waiting for that stall horn and i just felt the bottom i you know i'm maybe was what four feet three feet above the surface of the runway and i should have been closer to one and as soon as i felt it dip i went full power i'm going around and we sure did we 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 left some marks on that runway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nothing like being bounced like a basketball. There you go. And, you know, no no purposing here. Uh, recovery, as Alex said, he's being very generous. Uh, but, yeah, we did go around, and, and he showed me how it's done, and I felt a little embarrassed, And but I'm so happy to, to have that opportunity today to go flying with you. So thank you very much. It's been a fantastic experience. Thank you for coming out, and I can't wait to do it again. Great, fantastic. And I can't wait to hear more about your journey in future shows. I can't wait to be able to be on and uh, help out the future generations. Excellent. Thank you. And reporting from the Riverside Flat Academy at Riverside Municipal, Xaviator Tony. Back to you in the studio. Well, Roger, what'd you think? Did you uh, enjoy that discovery flight? I know. uh, That was pretty entertaining. Oh man, you know there's a lot going on here in this that's the one seventy two. Yeah, my, you know, I think that was my favorite part. Yeah, the, I, you're not used. To, I mean, back I can remember back when we were at Tailwind, 
at Chandler Municipal, and you could land uh, a Cessna 172. It didn't matter which one from the flight line, different airplane, different you know the S model, the R model, the SP, uh, the 152 that we had. We had a couple of those, and you could land them because you you did it day in day out, and it's like a fine motor skill. After a while, you could land on one tire and just go down the runway on one tire and then take off again, and you're like. Yeah, I got this. And then you you progress in your career and you move on to bigger and better aircraft and and now you're getting into flight operations for an airline and and you don't touch the controls of a GA airplane, the the rudiment of your skill set, your career, your passion. And you're like, "Whoa, this is a little overwhelming because although you have all the principles and knowledge down, that fine motor skill has not been, at least in that sense, hasn't been uh, used. And so, like like you saw in the video there, um, <laughs> it was a, a lot to be desired of my first landing there. Um, and and I think he did that on kind of intentionally. Alex was was a great sport. He was fantastic uh, uh, to have me as you know his guest and to go flying with him. Um, and he was very patient with me. <laughs> He's like, this airline guy can't fly a freaking Cessna. Um, but that's that really is true. We used to joke around when the uh, the British Airways pilots came over to tailwind on their layovers, and they'd try to flare at 150 feet. And you're like, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I finally, I was on that side of the experience. And uh, I got to say, I had a blast. Uh, my thanks to the Riverside Flight Academy and to Alex Daigle for having me. Uh, I look forward to having Alex on the show as he can tell us all about his journey. He's pretty close to having his uh, 1,500 hours. So congratulations, Alex. Keep it up. Um, and as soon as you get on board with uh, whatever carrier you end up at, uh, we'd love to have you on the show so we can talk about your journey uh, with you and, and how exciting that is. So, Roger, uh, how bad did I, did I scare you? <laughs> no, I, on the contrary. I was... I was extremely entertained, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I've flown a GA aircraft, you know, not within the last several years again, but um, I, I remember having the same feeling as you. And it's um, it's a sobering it's a sobering feeling realizing what you don't know or what you what you don't remember. And did you have no idea what you're doing anymore? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, but uh, like I said, it was a fantastic experience. I, I hope you all enjoyed the audio from that. It's a little different take than what we normally do here on the podcast. But, um, you know, we had a fantastic time uh, recording uh, and hanging out afterwards. Uh, Alex and I had uh, uh, one of those famous $500 cheeseburgers at the uh, at the cafe there at the restaurant. And we actually watched one of his students who was going for his check ride. Um, do his pre-flight, go up with the examiner, and they came back by the time we finished our meal, uh, and his student passed. So, yeah, congratulations. Um, you know, Alex is a fantastic instructor. He was very patient with me. I can only imagine how patient he is with his students. Uh, so, yeah, thank you again for, uh, for the experience and coming along on the journey with us. As our flight is drawing to an end, we would like to take this opportunity and thank all of you for coming along with us on this journey. A very special thank you to Alex Daigle for the opportunity to go fly with him. I also want to thank Captain Roger for joining me today as uh, we continue on this journey. Now, show 100 is coming up. 
everyone, show 100. I am so excited. I never thought that I would make it to 100. What I would like to do is have a collection of clips from all of our past shows and highlight some of our favorite moments on Squawk Eye Dan. Do you have a favorite moment on Squawk Eye Dan? I would love to hear about it. Please send me an email at aviatortony at gmail.com or you can go right on our website at aviatortony.com and from there you can send us a message. What has been your favorite episode? Uh, maybe you had a favorite clip or a favorite story. Let us know what that is and we'll be sure to take a look at that and highlight it for episode 100. Please also be sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback right there from our website. There you also find audio archives, photos from the flight line, guest book, guest book photo tab, and our Squawk Ident pilot shop, where you can find an assortment of t-shirts, hats, mugs, and much more. A very small proceed from all sales goes towards helping to finance this show. You can also contribute financially to the Squawk Ident podcast right from the homepage of the website. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can just search for Squawk Ident podcast to find us. And a big final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See ya. Bye, babe. This is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. Why so serious? That plane leaves the ground and you're not with him, you'll regret it. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. <laughs>